Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. Thanks. So if you'll take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 2 while you're doing that, I want you to look right up here in the balcony. Frankie, Frankie, wave real big, real big. She is nine years old today. She had to come tell me that, so. And I think she doesn't want us to look at her anymore right now, so. Oh, what a great thing to be nine years old and sitting in a balcony. Uh, Okay, Luke chapter 2, we're doing um, kind of this old school Advent series. We're looking at the people around the Christmas story, those usual suspects, but we're, we're looking at who they really were. Mary had this uncanny sense of just being available to God. I'm the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. Joseph had this knack for being able to pay attention to God, uh, and through some very uncertain times when he didn't control what was happening, he learned how to trust. So now we're going from individuals to kind of groups of people, and today we're going to look at the shepherds. But before we do that, uh, Sarah Ogilvie has just come out with a brand new book, and if you're a word nerd, if you really love words, you might like this. This is a book called The Dictionary People. And it's about the compilation of the Oxford English Dictionary way back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. James Murray was the scholar who brought together, and can you imagine how overwhelming it would be to try to create a dictionary of the entire English language? And he couldn't do that by himself, so he recruited volunteers. He sent out notifications, advertisements. If you run across a new or interesting word as you're reading, write it down, give the reference, mail it in on a slip of paper, And he, this is crowdsourcing before crowdsourced. You know what? Wikipedia is nothing new. It's essentially the the 19th century version of that same thing. So people were sending in slips. And so there were doctors, there were lawyers, there were professionals, there were scholars. But of the 3,000 people that sent in slips of paper with unique English words, most of them were just average people. In fact, I read a review on Sarah Ogilvie's book, and it's called An Ode to Ordinary People. And so I can't help but think that this morning as we look at the shepherds, these are just ordinary people. And, and they, what they do is they contribute a word, they contribute a concept to the Christian lexicon that we very much need. We'll get to that word here in just a moment. So Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. I'm having a Charlie Brown flashback right now. You hear Linus say those words. Now, what we've tried to do here is we've tried to romanticize these words. Uh, Some scholars have speculated, well, these shepherds were keeping flocks that would be used for temple sacrifice. Probably not. We imagine that the shepherds out on this cold winter night, December 25th, wasn't so. Shepherds would keep their flocks between March and November, so last time I checked, December 25th doesn't factor in there anywhere. We know about the year Jesus was born, maybe 6 or 5 B.C., but we don't know the exact date. So we've, we've tried to romanticize the shepherds when the point of Luke is just the opposite. These are just ordinary people. And I love um, one quote here by Malcolm Forbes. He says this, You can easily judge the character of a man by how he treats those who can do nothing for him. Hear that again. You can easily judge the character of a man by how he treats those who can do nothing for him. 
If you're going to judge God, look at Him by how He treats the people who can do nothing for Him, which, by the way, is all of us. And it's modeled here by these shepherds. Here's how God treats ordinary people. So the shepherds were living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. If you've ever been to those parts of the world where there is no electricity, when the sun goes down, it gets really dark. And they're terrified because all of a sudden it's as bright as can be. Our sun travels at 230 miles a second. That's how fast it travels through space. It could go from New York to L.A. in 11 seconds. And so just in a flash, it goes from complete darkness to total light. Of course they're terrified. But the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great, here's the word, joy. As Mary taught us something about being available, as Joseph taught us something about being attentive, these shepherds teach us something about joy. And we'll try to define joy here a little bit, but it's really a word that kind of goes beyond the ability to define, although you know it if you have it, and you also know it if it's not there. And by the way, if your life isn't very joyful today, no one's forcing you to live this way. And what is available to you and what we have as followers of Jesus Christ is every reason to be joyful. This is such an important concept to Luke's gospel. This is the first time he mentions joy, but not the last. In fact, Luke mentions joy in his gospel more than Matthew and Mark combined. It's this theme that goes all throughout this gospel, and it starts here with the shepherds. This will be great joy. Let's read the next verse. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign. You'll find the baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a feeding trough. So Jesus is given three titles here by these messengers, Savior, Messiah, Lord. So I'm not going to take liberty with the text. I want us to focus on those three words, those three titles of Jesus. But I am going to take a little bit of liberty with the shepherds, okay? Because we don't know what's going on in their hearts and mind, but what I'm about to speculate I think is a pretty safe bet. First of all, if you're a shepherd, you're just flat out bored. Have any of you ever been in that point? I know what you do as an occupation, but have you ever been on a meeting or in a situation at work and you just kind of put your head down and you go, how did I end up here? How did I end up here? I think for shepherds, that's a daily experience because it sounds so romantic, you know. Again, there's that word. As a shepherd, you guide and you protect and you, you provide. Sounds very romantic, but day in and day out, just being a shepherd is just flat out boring and it's mundane, and it's meaningless work, and these sheep aren't even yours. You're taking care of them for somebody else, right? And you're just doing grunt labor. By the way, have you ever thought about this? There are different kinds of boredom. There's an indifferent boredom. Uh, you've probably experienced this when you're at home, you're sitting in front of the TV, you're bored, and you don't care. You're like, yeah, so what, I'm bored, I'm just going to flip around, and it's okay. Then there's an apathetic boredom. This is one where you've just kind of given up. Have you ever walked into a high school classroom and seen apathetic boredom? Have you ever walked into a church and have seen apathetic boredom? Now, don't become those people, all right? Of course, that's never happened here, right? Yeah. 
And then there is hostile boredom. Hostile boredom is what you feel when you're stuck in a traffic jam and it's not moving, you're bored stiff. Or when you're on the airplane, you're on the airplane, you're on the tarmac, you're not going anywhere and you're about to crawl out of your skin boredom. I don't know which breed of boredom the shepherds felt, but I think it's probably that last one. It's, I'm stuck here, I'm not moving, I'm not going anywhere. And so with the message of this angel, she says, the angel says, excuse me, don't know if he or she, why did I stumble into that one? (laughs) Theologically, angels don't have gender, okay? So it, the angel says there is a Savior born to you, a deliverer that you don't have to live your life in a rut anymore. And so whatever else joy is, it's a jolt. Uh, Raymond Brown was in an ambulance going across London to the hospital. His heart rate was 190, potentially fatal. London is notorious for the potholes in its streets, unlike Tulsa. (laughs) Why are you laughing? So the ambulance is speeding down the road. It hits a pothole. Again, his heart rate is 190. He and the EMT both fly in the air and bang back down, and his heart was reset to 60 beats a minute. He said, I will never complain about London potholes ever again. It saved my life. Sometimes we need that jolt. If you're bored out of your mind, there is a Savior who has been born to you. There is a Deliverer who has been born to you. And it's not just about living in your little world. It's about living in eternal life. Joy is that jolt that we need. I could also imagine, more than just being bored, if I had to guess about the shepherds, I think that some of them were bitter too. I mean, you can't be in a low-end profession sometimes and just not become bitter. I tried to think of an illustration this week of bitterness. This is the best I could come up with. I think this is actually pretty good. I, I was driving downtown this week, and my windows were fogged up, so I turned on the defroster. I thought, what would it be like to drive in a car if all the windows were fogged up and maybe even frozen, there's that thin sheet of ice, and you couldn't see outside your windows? What happens if you would actually start driving that way? From your view, you're the only one on the road. Well, you know what would happen. You would end up banging into and running in a lot of people. I think that's what bitterness is, is when the windshield and the windows of your life are fogged over and frozen up and you can't see anybody but yourself and your own situation. And here's what happens. You end up hurting other people. Damaged people damage people. Hurting people hurt people. Wounded people wound people. And so if you're on the receiving end of that, listen, just, just realize most of the time when people hurt us, it's, it's really more about what's going on with them than us. We can't fix that, but what you can make sure to do is you can make sure you're not that bitter soul. And if you need to ask somebody, do, and don't be surprised with the answer that they give. Now, to those of us who are bitter in this room, Jesus is Savior. He's also Messiah. Messiah in the Greek, it's Christos, Christ. It means anointed one. And in the Older Testament, there were three very special people that were anointed. Prophets, Samuel was anointed as a prophet. Priests, um, Aaron was anointed as priest. And king, David was anointed as king. Prophet, priest, and king. Jesus fulfills all of those offices. But not just these special people, but ordinary people were anointed too when they were ill. 
when they were sick. Anointing was used to soothe the wounds of people. It never ceases to amaze me whenever we offer an anointing for healing. For me to pray that the middle aisle just fills up instantly. I wish I would have had the forethought to do it today, but so many people in our world are just flat out hurting. But you don't need me standing in an aisle with a vial of oil to know this. The anointed one can anoint you. You know how hurting people hurt people? Well, the anointed one can anoint people. You don't have to go through life bitter. There is a source of joy and healing that comes to us in Christ. So, yeah, I'm a Baptist. I'm going to alliterate here. So the shepherds bored, the shepherds bitter. Shepherds were probably just beat down. In fact, uh, shepherds were considered on the low end of the spectrum of occupations. If you were a shepherd, you were looked on so low that you could not even give um, a testimony in court. You were considered untrustworthy. And so here's a group of people that just probably felt beat down. So in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, don't know if you know this, there's what's called the Great Garbage Patch. Because of the way the ocean currents run around the coast, it kind of creates this vortex that pulls all the trash into the center of the Pacific Ocean. There's so much trash, most of it plastic. Get this. It's the size of the state of Texas. That's how much trash is floating around the ocean. And you may look around and you may feel like you're just surrounded by trash. Can I tell you, you're not. There is one who's been born who's a treasure. He is Savior. He is Messiah. The third title is Lord. I could trace that word all the way back to its beginning. In fact, I whiteboarded that just a few weeks ago, a couple months ago. That word traces all the way back to Moses at the burning bush when he says, tell me your name. I am Yahweh, translated the Lord. Luke talks about Jesus in the highest term possible. God has not now come in a bush. He has come in the form of a baby. And he is the treasure men and women seek. So, verse 15, the angels had left and gone into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, don't overlook these words, let's go. Um, we, we have a standing joke around our house. We were in Branson a couple of years ago. We were staying in a very nice cabin, and we'd been there for a couple of days. And it's kind of the end of vacation. You're ready to get home. We're sitting around about 7 o'clock that evening. And go, hey, we'll leave first thing in the morning. And then my wife said, you know, if we packed up, that could take us about 30 minutes, and we could sleep in our own beds tonight. And so my kids joke with me because I became this new individual in the next 30 minutes. <laughs> go, 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 go. I couldn't understand why they were looking at their iPhone when they needed to get the sheets off their bed, get loaded up in the car. I'm like, let's go. Am I the only one that feels like that on vacation? When it's time to go, it's time to go. Let's go. It's this urgency and this determination. Let's go. Okay, that didn't connect with anybody. I won't use that illustration ever again. You feel the same way. I know, I know you're in church and you're like, I'm good. I'm never going to do that. I know you. <laughs> we all have those edges. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a feeding trough. Now here's where we're going to take a stab at joy. 
When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said. So they were exuberant. You know, part of joy is just being overwhelmed by the magnificence of God. And we're going to have times like that where God's magnificent. You feel it. It oozes out of your pores. There's that joyful expression. But joy is not just about the emotion because look at Mary. Shepherds return glory. Oh, excuse me. I've skipped verse 19 is where I wanted to be. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Joy is not only about magnificence. Joy is about mystery. And sometimes people get real exuberant with their joy. Others of us are a little more subtle and a little more silent, but it's there as we're overwhelmed by the mystery of God. So let's take our eyes off the shepherds for a moment. I want to turn the spotlight on you. Uh, Donald Whitney, who's a theologian I very much admire, he talks about three types of thirsty souls. I just want you to consider your soul for just a second, the center of who you are, And as I talk about these three kinds of thirsty souls, I want you to say, which one is really me? Which one's me? Because for wherever you are, whoever you are, there's joy. So the first one, he says, is the thirst of an empty soul. At best, this soul is temporarily satisfied by the pleasure of sex, power, sports, and entertainment. So you're thirsty, you're empty, you try to fill it with so many other things. And as soon as the pleasure is passed, that thirst returns, in fact, even more so. Thirst of an empty soul. Second is the thirst of a dry soul. Unlike the first thirst, the person with the dry soul understands that Jesus is the only water that satisfies, but through unintentional neglect or deliberate disobedience that causes their soul to become more parched and brittle. In other words, you know better. You know that Jesus is the only one that's going to satisfy, but you're still trying to figure out if there's a substitute for him and you try anything. So so do you have that thirst of an empty soul? I've got good news of joy for you. Or the dry soul. It's about coming back to joy, coming back to Jesus. Well, here's a third one. Finally is the thirst, and this is where I hope all of us are, the thirst of a satisfied soul. This is the best of all thirsts, a soul having found contentment in Christ, but at the same time always craving more. A life lived in that, a contentment in Christ but craving more, is a life of joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come, and He is Savior, and He is Messiah and he is Lord. Let's stand together and pray with one another. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.